everybody, this is Townsend. I'm a singer, songwriter, musician, and mental health advocate, and I started the You're Not Alone project and podcast to help educate, spread awareness, and simply help you feel a little less alone, no matter what you're going through. Thank you so much for tuning in to Season 2 of You're Not Alone with Townsend. Be sure to click the follow button and share these stories. You can also watch the interviews on our YouTube under Townsend T Music. You can also keep up with the journey if you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Townsend T Music. Every like, follow, and share helps us continue to change lives. I am beyond honored to be partnering with Endure the Dirt. If you're from Arkansas, you've probably heard of this event, so go ahead and get your calendars out. This year it's going to be taking place on March 11th. That's a Saturday, so there's no excuse you shouldn't make it. So again, mark that down, March 11th. If you don't know what Endure the Dirt is, it's a 5K mud run that consists of obstacles that are basically to help healthy individuals understand what a cancer patient endures daily. This 5K takes place in Stuttgart, Arkansas at Max Prairie Wings. Now, there are going to be people there to help give you a boost and give you encouragement to conquer each task, just like a cancer patient will have their caregivers, family, and friends. They want you to understand what cancer patients have to endure when they go through rounds and rounds of treatments. The treatments can bring side effects that are incredibly undesirable. They can make you so sick, you can't do anything. So why do we pick March? Because of the weather. Cancer patients have to deal with extreme circumstances that are incredibly uncomfortable, and we want you to be uncomfortable, just like they are. We want to take this event and help you understand just a little bit of what they go through with this terrible disease. So the race again is going to be on March 11th, Stuttgart, Arkansas. Hop online. You can go to adventuresignup.com, snag your tickets, let them know that you're coming. Let's help raise money and awareness for cancer patients and treatment. For all details, make sure to go to personalpeprally.org. We'll see you there. What is up, everybody? I am so excited about this episode of you're not alone with Townsend. I think I said that every episode because I am so excited. Every story is so inspirational. Every story has changed my life for the better. I'm learning so much from my guests, and I hope you guys are too. Today, I'm really excited. Okay, so I met Raisha. Gosh, it's probably been a couple of years ago before COVID really got going. She came out to a couple of shows of mine. I like to play music. If you guys didn't know that, I play that full time. She came out to support and honest to goodness, Raisha, you just glow positivity. Like, I think you're the most precious person ever. I was telling her, I've told you twice now, if I could pull off the shaved head like Raisha does, I would not have hair. Like, let's just be for real. You are gorgeous and just oh. the most precious thing ever. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It is It is truly a privilege. I tell you every time anybody that says, hey, will you give me some of your time because you want to hear what I have to say? I'm like, yeah, Sign me up. I okay. love it. I love it's, it. It's humbling to think. It's humbling to think when we are living in an era where people don't make time for you. If somebody says, no, I choose you and I want to make time for you, you honor that. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. What a great way to look at it. I love that so much. So Raisha, we hit it off because one of our counselor friends introduced us. Raisha is a counselor in the Little Rock, Arkansas area, but I will let her introduce herself. But just kind of to give you a heads up, we're going to be chit-chatting about what mental health looks like specifically in the Black community, which I love learning about. We discussed this last year with one of my buddies in Little Rock, and she discussed growing up in the Black community and what it looked like for her. But every story is unique and original, and I'm excited to hop in this with you. So, Raisha, give us a little description of yourself. What's your job title? Where are you from? Things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Raisha Clark, I am a neurotherapist and I'm licensed in Arkansas as a licensed professional counselor. So, um, neurotherapist just sounds fancy. It 
only means, Townsend, that I believe that the brain is what we need to look at to dictate how we can fix behaviors, right? So I really use a lot of brain-based and body-based therapies. When I have clients come into my office, I have a group practice here in Little Rock off of Markham. Woo, woo. Um, I'm super excited about that because I can now say group as I am in the process of hiring my first counselor to come on board with me. That's amazing. Yes, it's it's super exciting. So love it. So I'm the CEO, insert ball headed hair flip, and owner of the collective counselor. Here, let me do it for you. Yeah, there you go. Hmm. Flip it for me, please. I got these curls for you. There you go. I love it. Um, let me see. So that's, that's what I do. Those are titles. I'm also a mama. Um, I got three kiddos. They are 19, 15, and six in drastically different areas of life and need me in drastically different ways. <laughs> I love it. 19. No way you have a 19 year old child. Stop, Raisha. You look 30. I know. I know. Let me tell Not you. even 30. You aged. <laughs> oh, Raisha, you got it going on. I'm so envious right now. Uh, I love it. Okay. I had no idea that was your title. I'm going to be honest. I thought you were just, you know, the licensed counselor. So how cool neurotherapy. I love that. The brain is something I'm so passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's finally catching momentum that people understand that there are ways outside of just appeal to kind of see, because I think it's so funny. I heard a psychiatrist say in um, one of his audio books, why is it that psychiatrists are asked to be a doctor and a professional on an organ that we never actually look at? If you never examine the brain, which is the catalyst, the reason, the, the system that causes us and our whole existence to be in existence, why not look at that thing? So anyway, that really resonated with me and I just kind of stuck with it, started doing more specialty work in neuropsychology and here I am. I am even more blown away. That is amazing. That is so cool. What in the world got you interested in mental health to begin with? Like the counseling aspect. I want to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to these conversations. It truly means so much. We've changed so many lives for the better, and we want to continue doing so throughout 2023. This project is made possible by sponsors and patrons. So if you'd like to help keep the You're Not Alone project going and hearing these amazing stories, we would love for you to join the family at patreon.com slash Music. Just for signing up, you'll get free merch, discounts, and behind-the-scenes patron-only footage not only of my music, but of each episode. That's right, so each guest on every episode answers a few more questions that only patrons will be able to watch and listen to. So head on over to patreon.com slash Townsend Team Music, and let's continue changing lives. Yeah, so, you know, honestly, it's twofold. Um, I got out so I was active duty Army for about 10 years. I got Gracia, out. Gracia, stop it. What have you not done? You're you're GI Jane. You're this brain specialist. Oh my gosh. Okay, I want to be Rachel when I grow up. Keep going. Keep going. I'm just blown away. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you, honey. Um. So so yeah, I I got out of the army in 2009, and um, I had two kids. I was divorcee. Two kids. Went home. Stayed with my parents for about a year. The transition period was hard. Looking back in hindsight, I can see that I was really struggling. Didn't recognize I was struggling. Love my parents because they're about three months in. My mom's like, so you need a job, kid. I'm like, okay. So here I am. I'm 29. I'm like, okay, I got two kids. I need a job. I got to figure this thing out. I felt very behind, if that makes sense. My peers that I graduated with, they're in their careers, middle management, you know, house kid, kid and a half, picket fence, dog, you know, just... And I American felt American dream, the American dream. Yeah. I just felt so lost. So I started working actually as a volunteer with my mom. Uh, she was a hospice nurse for many, many, many years. So they needed um, bereavement counselors. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, so started as a volunteer basis, realized that holding space for people came kind of easy. And then I started looking back and I've always kind of been that friend that people would go to. Well, you fast forward to another three months, and then that's when I wanted to actually go and acknowledge the fact that I was struggling transition out of the military. I go to the VA. 
I meet with a female psychiatrist who appeared to be about my age. And I remember just kind of recalling some of my struggles and um, some of the issues I was having with PTSD related to Iraq. And I remember her telling me just, just so plainly, I just, I just don't really think that, that that's how you're experienced with. I just don't see women that come in with Iraq stories. And I just remember being so blown away that it took me almost a year to come and say, hey, I struggle with Jackson, with the Air Force Base being in Jacksonville and the big planes hovering sometimes around, just doing their routine runs, the planes would get me really nervous, you know, so I'm just giving little examples to this psychiatrist, you know, and she just was, she's just looking at me like, God, you just want to come in here and like blow smoke because the idea is, you know, I'm malingering, wanting to get a VA disability check. And so I'm giving you this grandiose story. And so um, those two things paired together made me think I need to be the change that I don't really have for myself. I need to be the thing that I, I, I need. And uh, went went to school and, you know, cliche as it is, the rest really is history. But it has been a really unique journey into mental health, uh, just because the variety of people that I work with, it's morphed along the way, but it's it's been humbling to be able to hold space for people. Um, I think it is truly a calling and it's something that I really, I go, maybe I'll tear out thinking about it. Kira, <laughs> stop it, you don't make me cry. <laughs> it's a privilege to do the thing that you're called to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm reminded of that every day with what I do as well, being able to share these stories. And I've had several counselor friends and professionals been on here and I cannot go without telling you, thank you for what you do. I have such a huge respect for counselors and really anyone in the mental health field that, like you said, holds a space for those people. Cause I have very much seen that lack in the healthcare. And my goal is to help kind of make that gap a little bit smaller to spread awareness and to let people know like it is okay to not be okay we're all a little wild sometimes we all have down days so thank you for what you do it's definitely a calling not many people can do what you do so amazing amazing well let's hop right in I would love so something obviously I am in the white community I see mental health in my community and I see where it lacks. I see where it is strong. I see all these stories. And I kind of have an idea. We still have a stigma, but I do feel like it's getting a little bit better. That gap is closing a little bit. But I would really love to address mental ha- health and that care in the Black community and the minority communities. Is mental health something that's openly talked about? Or does it have a stigma attached to it as well? Kind of like the white community? Like, shine a light on that for us just kind of what that looks like. Yeah, 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 yeah. So standard disclaimer, I want to make sure I'm not trying to speak on behalf of all Black communities, because I do think it is appropriate that when we ask a question that broad, we take into account the generation, as well as the background of the BIPOC or the Black or Brown Indigenous person that you're speaking to. You take those things into account. What I will offer is kind of what I've seen over the years and some of the data, you know, and and it's that, you know, we have a generation that's still living um, that experienced, you know, some of the Great Depression and Black people then really had to bond and, and kind of just, you know, be together. So being in their community is how they thrived and survived mm-hmm. um, that that same generation, they were also witness to the Tuskegee experiment where Black men were the subject of um, testing by the government with syphilis. And when we see that that generation saw that firsthand, we can kind of then better understand what the hesitancy is to go to the government, to go to someone outside of their community to see help, right? So then those, that generation had the baby boomers. And so they either kind of chose to kind of lean towards what their parents saw, their struggle or rebel against it. So then we see coming outside of the community and getting some services, trusting the government again, only to then see that many BIPOC populations so that the government 
was not really for the family unit. And so that looked like more statistically more CPS cases and child welfare involvement. Um, that looked more like, well, I'm going to give you a pill for this thing here, and this is going to make you feel better, when really that pill led to insert all kinds of awful health conditions later on. And so, you know, the boomers had more access to resources. So then they had kids, so they had me. So here we are, the 40-somethings are just kind of bopping around, you know, and uh, then we too start to make choices as access and availability becomes more available. But there's still that thing within, I think, black and brown communities to where we really hold true to what our elders are saying to do. We might not know their why, but if they say don't do it, don't do it. So it's kind of been passed on like, ah, don't trust the government, don't trust the white man, don't trust outside of your community. It's not safe for you. Even though that's not my learned experience that was taught to kind of keep with that. So I'm seeing a shift with the 40-somethings because now it's like we have social media, we have the internet to kind of help us find what resonates best with us, even if it bucks against. So to come back in a very long-winded way to say, is there a stigma? I think it's important to account like, yeah, there are stigmas, but probably for learned reasons why. Like if my experience hasn't been positive, I'm going to share that that wasn't good for me. Best of luck to you, but that didn't work for me. And now it's getting better to where we're starting to see that there is still a need. Now that we're getting more clinicians that look like us into the field, it feels a little safer to try to get help for mental health issues. That summed it up better than I've ever heard. Like that was perfect. You could write a book on that. It just really shines a light. So I am very passionate about mental health for all the communities. Like I said, I want to shine a light on all the communities. I want to know what it looks like because I think you worded it perfect I certainly can't speak for the black or the brown or the any color but my own experience and so I want to hear everybody's experience in every episode at some point we make the point to say this is just our story this doesn't relate to everyone else this isn't written in stone so don't take this you know take it with a grain of salt this is what we've experienced we're simply trying to share what what we've seen, what we've learned, and share light from there. But absolutely, I think you worded that incredibly perfect. And I wonder if social media has brightened it up for the white community as well. Because on my social media, I mean, it is everywhere. Mental health, mental health, mental health. I mean, popular celebrities, artists, singers, rapping about it, singing about it. It is every time you turn your phone on. And there's one particular account I follow he's a barber and he specifically works with the black male community and so these guys come in and get their haircut and he takes pride in when people sit down and get their haircut we're one-on-one for this 30 minutes you know and so he considers himself like the counselor for the male community in that atmosphere and that is the coolest thing to me I think that is so neat is the barber black yes So, you know, that is part of the safe place of Black communities for men, historically. I love it. Okay. Uh, Amazing. So his, his platform is talking about how, where he grew up, again, this is his story and his experience, but he talks about when he grew up, mental health wasn't talked about. It was seen as like a weakness, especially for the male. And he talks about in the Black community he was raised in, especially they were so bonded, like you said, it was, you were not supported if you went out of that community and you seek help, and so he decided he wanted to change that, you know what, you come to my barbershop and you are safe, this is a safe place, and so he's kind of made it like a counseling session, and I just think that is so amazing, I love people like that, just wanting to go out, make a difference, make a safe place. Absolutely, well, you know, the barbershop is often something like, um, some black people were like Malraysia, but <laughs> when we look at the differences in black fraternities and sororities and white fraternities and sororities, right? Like the premise of the divine nine or these historically black fraternities and sororities is that that is the community, that is our safe place. So when we go to these predominantly white schools, at least we have a small community. When we are even, let's say Howard, which is a predominantly black institution, but it's at the time, it was surrounded by so many white people. They're like, well, we've got to find a community. So that's what sororities are. And so when I see my peers that are white that were in sororities in college, 
oftentimes it stays there, right? But then you see black folks and it's like, y'all still wear your Greek letters? Like, bro, that was totally college. <laughs> it's like, no, that's still my community, you know? And so the barber shop was oftentimes a safe place for black males to go. It was wisdom being passed down for hours. That was their one place to feel safe enough to go and unload because the rest of the world would not accept any of the burdens that they had. They they couldn't, right? They didn't have time to have burdens Monday through, you know, Friday, but Saturday morning, they could go to the barbershop and kind of release their burdens. Sunday morning, they praised the Lord. And then Monday, they started all over again. That's it. I love it. You are totally right. So I have seen the sorority girls come out. I can hear the ones. I'm not sure what sorority is, but the, yeah, I can hear them like two parking lots across and I'm like, you go girl. I love it personally. And you still got your letters on your car, like 30 years later. I think that is amazing. And that's something I'm really envious of because you worded it perfectly. Again, my experience personally is just that. Like you have your little friend group, but it stays where it was. You know, it stays in high school, it stays in college, it stays in the sorority. But I've always been so envious of the community that people make and they keep it for life. I think that's amazing. And we we could all learn from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love mm-hmm. it. Okay, do you think, this is going to be, we're going to dive deep into this conversation, okay? Are you okay. ready for that? All right. All right. Like I am, I am incredibly curious. I'm an inquisitive person and I want to understand people so much more than I do. So I appreciate you answering these crazy questions. Okay. All right. Do you think discrimination or the racial issues that are just swirling around, do you think those play a large part in mental health for the minority cultures and communities? So now we're talking about, you know, the Hispanics and the black and the brown and the, I think, like you said, they you can see the white government, you know, stereotype white government. Do you feel like all those issues that are just stirring and all over the news and everything else, do you think that plays a huge part in mental health? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. When, when you feel like the environment that you live in, when you feel like that environment isn't safe, once you leave the threshold of your home, that can't feel good. When we look at the data that looks at our affluent white population health and all that goes into that, so wellness checkups, um, access to health care, when we look at how their blood pressure runs, the occurrences of disease versus the same person, same age, it can be the same educational level, right? And then we see blood pressure occurrence of disease or illness or whatever. And we see that the numbers are just so much higher. We have to think, well, what's the difference? And then we start to look at the community that these people are living in. And then we start to see, okay, well, communities are different, but surely that can't be it. There's a felt sense that sometimes showing up to a room that no one looks like you kind of brings this heightened sense of hypervigilance, anxiety, things of that nature. And so I tell my class when they come in, if you don't ever bring that down, your homeostasis stays here. This is your norm, this hypervigilance, this very anxious state. But if this is your ceiling, that's all you have to work with. And every new day is going to bring you stressors. If you start here, your ceiling is here, day stressors come That's when we start to see when people come out and their environment does not feel safe. We start to see that their blood pressure, that their occurrence of illness is so much higher. If that's not a burden for you, then your homeostasis is down here and your ceiling is up here. So you have plenty of space for your stressors to wig you out during the day before you get to your ceiling. So whenever you have just the privilege of showing up and you don't have to be anxious or aware because it doesn't matter what you look like because you're the majority there, that that truly is a privilege that it doesn't even seem like a thing. It's like, well, this is how I wake up every day. I wake up as a white woman. Yeah, I get it. And I don't want to discount that you had nothing to do with some of the systems created However, can we hold space for the fact that there are some spaces that it's okay for you to be just as you are, where if I go in all my bald-headed glory, <laughs> might not be the case. Now, I'm bold. So many yeah, times, there's not too many environments that are going to unnerve me. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't some that historically over the years have not caused my sense of calm, peace, and 
what we call is our autonomic nervous system. So if our autonomic nervous system has a homeostasis that's up here that's dysregulated, it really does not do well on the body. So to answer your question, I think when we see some of the racial tensions in our community that goes on and it just seems like it keeps, just keeps going. And then we have it on our phone, direct access as we're going to bed, thinking about some of these same things. It's like our, our central nervous system never really gets a break from the distressing things. If we don't get a break, that's where that, that homeostasis and the heightened anxiety just rises up and it stays there. And then we go out into the world and then have to see, okay, is this a safe place? Yes, no, yes, no, yeah. Okay, it's safe. Wow. Yeah. You know, Man. And then to yeah. Yeah. What a thing we take for granted. So I would love for everybody listening just to think about that. Sit on that for just a minute. That really hits home for me. So we wake up part of my mental health, something that I do for self-care. I try to think of little things, tiny things that I'm thankful for. And so I've told this before on podcasts, but there's something about when I lay to bed at night, I think I'm so thankful for this bed. I'm so thankful for these four walls, for the ceiling. And that just added a whole new one. I'm so thankful I can walk into the grocery store and not have that stressor. Like something we take for granted all day, every day. And, you know, I've even thought asking that question, like I said, it's all over social media and you address that as well. And it makes my blood pressure rise, just mm -hmm. knowing that that is going on. And so you make an amazing point. We don't even think about, oh yeah, people live that truth. Right. You know, right. like you see all these stressors all the time, but people walk into places and have to immediately assess, is this safe? Is it not? Yeah. So I love that you pointed that out. That is something that we for sure, myself included, take for granted. I love that. I, I want to tell a story if that's okay. So an sure. example of this. So I've played music for as long as I can remember. Speaking of black and white sororities, a lot of my friends were in the black sororities and fraternities. Mm -hmm. Loved them. Okay. So I played music with several of them. They invited me to play at one of the biggest Greek events on campus. And oh. I was a freshman. Okay. So I'm like 17, 18, fresh freshman. Okay. So yes. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm so excited. And so I arrive, I am naive as can be, Rachel, girl, naive. <laughs> and I'm from Palm Bluff. It, I thought nothing about it, not a single thing. I get up on stage, they open the curtains, Rachel. I thought, I thought I was going to have a cardiac arrest. There were like, I was the one, one in probably 2000 people that was white, just being in the room. That's the closest thing I can relate to what you were saying. And in that moment, I thought, is this a safe space? Are they going to accept me? Am I good enough? Are they going to like me? I mean, my mind ran through those thoughts like a Rolodex just automatically. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. ended up, I played my songs and it was the best reaction I have ever gotten since playing music the best they just respected that I showed up yeah absolutely but absolutely. that's but that's the closest I can I can relate to that and I cannot imagine walking into every room feeling like that yeah well and take it a step further this is a place that in theory you should be able to go you should be able yes. to go music amongst people that love music you should be able to go to this public event I should be able to go to the grocery store and not have to be you know followed or looked at as if I might be stealing something you know I should yeah. be able to go to so many places it's just a common thing I should be able to go without but see, this is this even goes beyond racial issues. I see it happen many times with people that are homeless. Yes. You know, they can look any hue of white or brown because they can be just as white, but maybe just as dirty. Just thinking, oh, you're brown, <laughs> not a brown, yeah, but you're brown, you know. But I mean, they should be able to go into a grocery store without being suspected of shoplifting, you know. However, this kind of discriminatory thought and automatic assumption that we have, I think, in society is it's getting gross and it's getting grosser. There is no, there is no air of um, caution. Let me ask. It's just an assumption that's always made. And that just, I think that's scary. I don't think it's good for anyone's mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, the, the wild part about my experience was it was a safe place. I knew that these are people I'm friends with and my mind automatically thought, 
how do they feel when they come to our stuff? Sure. I mean, it, it was just what it was just a total slap in the face of reality. And one of those moments I thought, okay, I need to dive deep. I need to learn more about outside of my community and my culture. And so I, I started getting really interested after that, like I said, that situation where I found myself like, holy moly. Yes. People do this I'm not the majority. Yes. It was <laughs> wild. It was crazy. And that sounds so naive. And I was very naive at that age. And I feel like even as an adult, we can be very naive when it doesn't affect you out of sight, out of mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go with that. Okay. Most people, including myself, when I think of therapy, my first stereotypical thought, and this is going to sound terrible. I don't mean it as harsh as it sounds, but very cookie cutter. I imagine like a white professor, rich white male, almost like a white coat diagnosis. So when I think therapy, my first thought is a man in a, like a vest with glasses, who's white, rich, and better than me. And he's yep. just there to diagnose me. Yep, That's my first yep. thought. And I feel like that's for most people. How, yep. how can people like me and you fix that mindset? Because I don't even know why my mind goes there. It just kind of does. It's like the, the white coat syndrome. Like I said, how do we fix that? So it doesn't seem so scary and so cookie cutter. Well, I think this is where data comes in. Data comes in to suggest that, or not even suggest to tell us that about 77% of the psychologists today that are licensed in the United States are white. And so okay. when, when you see a number like that, you're thinking, well, no shit. Yeah. Can I say that? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. It's just a slight. It's adults. Let's go. <laughs> it's only a slot. We're girl. We adults. We okay. Go ahead. <laughs> so when you have seventy-seven percent that are white, and only four percent of the psychologists that are in the U.S. now that are licensed that are black, well, that's a big thing. So if we're talking about fixing it. Well, we can try to see why that is even the case. Why is it that so few black and brown professionals? I think there's maybe um. Oh, 6% Hispanic, but I, I do remember that this, the number of psychologists in the U.S. today is only about 4%, 4% that are Black, so I think that's one, um, seeing if our educational systems are really, really encouraging Black and Brown people to come and even pursue these careers, because um, I, I think that is part of academia, too, is, is are we allowed at the table, you know? Yeah. Um, but we look at movies, we look at social media, we see how therapy is, um, the expression that art imitates life. I think that is, is why we had that thought of this is what mental health, this is what a therapist looks like is because what we have seen on the screen, whether it's a TV screen or a phone screen is pretty much a white man with glasses crosses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. On his like little sweater vest. And he's like, how does that make you feel? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, very stereotypical, except that is a large part of what reality is. Wow. So, okay. Now that we're getting more and more black and brown professionals in, in roles to serve us, that's, that feels better. Cause again, it goes back to what our great grandparents were experiencing, right? White people don't trust them. Damn sure don't trust them if they want to give you a pill. <laughs> so if they got a sweater vest on, run. Yeah, run. <laughs> so, so again, it might not have been my experience, but I learned it from my elders. And so there's some wisdom to that. And so when we stop relying on the white man to be our savior, which is a, a thing, again, that is very prominent in black and brown communities. It's like, I need a white person to save this thing for me, right? If it's not a white person to do it, I don't trust it. So there is even that. But when we go back to seeing how art imitates life, when the white man is the only source of a resource, it seems then there could be a reason why that is a problem in black and brown communities. So it is so very nuanced, Townsend, that the question is bigger than what you might've even realized to begin with. But I think it is getting more people that look like me, that look like shades and hues of my brown that are in these seats that are serving to help people. And that people that look like me and the hues of my brown, understanding that they have a place that first of all, just allows them to walk into the room, 
And then once they get into that room, they can sit down and then they can sit down and have every real emotion come to the surface and that be okay. That has to happen. That has to happen. And that takes black and brown people doing their own work to make sure they can hold space for people's vulnerabilities because it takes a lot. That's why I say it is a very big privilege and honor for me to be able to serve people as a helping professional because when they come into my office, when they come in that door and they sit on my couch, they chose me. Whether they had a list of therapists to choose from, whether they were mandated, they still made the choice to come and they come to see me. And I have got to be able to hold space for whatever they give me in that moment. And so when their vulnerability comes up, whatever that looks like, they chose me to hold it. So I'm going to do the very best that I can to hold it so that those stigmas that therapy is not safe can be broken one person, one experience, one session at a time. It's a, it's a big deal, but it is a privilege. It is, a, it, it is definitely a privilege. Man, I love that. I love that so much, Matt. I I said this earlier, but I hold you guys on such a pedestal. Any type of counselor or therapist, I don't know how you do it. Life is hard enough without right. carrying every everyone else's burdens. So it's just amazing. And I think that's perfect. I never thought about that. The picture we are fed all the time is the white male in the white coat. And even female, like I know you and several other therapy females but my mind still goes to that picture we're fed our whole life. That's wild. I hadn't thought about that. Okay. So what could be said to a loved one, maybe in one of these minority communities that may be struggling with mental help, but not seeking help? Mm -hmm. Like what's, what's a, a sensitive way to go about that? Yeah. So if, if it were me, telling another person that looks like a hue or brown or looks like me, it would be something like, what's keeping you from doing it? I want to know your why. We have social media that's given you so many different options and resources. Why don't you trust it? I'm always curious why a person can know to do better, know that they should be doing better, but they're choosing not to do better. I want to know the why. And I think that's something that you can do outside of the field, right? Like, you as a as a human interacting with another human, if they know they're struggling, if they know they're not doing right, if they know they're not doing well, ask them, okay, why aren't you making a step to change? And then when they give you their why, then you can go into like, well, you don't know. Well, girlfriend, look at this. Homeboy, look at this. You know, then you can offer resources. If it's, hey, I'm I'm not able to take off from work, which is what I hear a lot. Hey, you know that you can actually do therapy in your bedroom, in your car, and whatever. You know, well, Rasha, I don't have the money for it. That's a huge one. Many people don't know that the insurance that they have actually will pay for mental health services. It is thought of that, well, this is only to go to my PCP. That's that's what health insurance is. It's only to go to my doctor to check my height, my weight, my heart, my bed. They don't think of mental health as a medical field. So I say, well, your health insurance, your health insurance is probably pretty expansive. You should probably call the number on the back to see, hey, could I go and see a mental health therapist? And most times than not, yeah, they actually do have covered benefits. So sometimes it's the money thing. They have the resources in their hand and they just don't realize it. Absolutely. I would not know that. Honestly, I wouldn't know that insurance covers so much mental health. I love that. That's kind of a newer thing as well. Yeah. 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 I love it. I've had people, so I have had close relationships with people and I will say, you know, what's really helped me is therapy and just having an outsider's point of view, a professional point of view, basic, literally there are times I just need someone that's licensed to tell me you're okay. The way you're handling that is okay. And that's worth it to me. And I've had friends that have said, well, therapy's for you, not for me. And that's their only why. And I don't even know how to respond to that. I'm just like, I really think it's for everyone. I mean, it just kind of shuts you down. I'm like, I I don't know. (laughs) What do you do? Well, in almost every speech I do, I mean, every time I'm invited to go somewhere, I'll always say, Every human that you encounter needs a therapist, including you. Many times people are like, oh, they're crazy. Ooh, they got issues, mm-hmm. but they never 
turn that back to themselves. So I'm like, everybody, and therapy really is your one place to be your, I mean, your very best authentic self. And if your authentic self, the very best version of that is angry, is snippy, is snooty, is weepy, is depressed. That is the one place that you get to practice that for one hour of the one. <laughs> 168 hours in a week you get one hour to practice being your authentic self that is what therapy is so if it's just for you ask them well you don't want a safe place to practice being all of you really yeah girl I'm not even gonna lie I walked in first time it was the hardest phone call I ever made was to go to therapy because of that I thought oh my gosh I'm admitting something's wrong with me I realize now that's not the case. I had gone through a lot of trauma. I wasn't going to get through it by myself. I'd done all the steps. And so yeah. I finally go to therapy. First session, I sit down and I'm like, oh God. Like, <laughs> you know, yes. I, I thought I was going to be good. It took 0.3 seconds to sob my eyes out and I felt so much better. I just needed to, <laughs> yes. I just yes. needed to be myself. Yes, yes, you are not alone. I tell you, it is rare that that is not the case. Yeah. I'm not a crier. I'm not yeah, a crier. Literally. Did okay. you watch my session? <laughs> that is yeah. what happened. I was like, I don't even know why I'm crying. Yeah. I just am crying. I don't know. And it's like, you finally are allowing yourself that space. And it's yep. just overwhelming emotionally. It's amazing. I, I would recommend it to anyone, everyone. I'm a huge advocate for therapy obviously mental health as well okay so how could we do better as a whole for all the communities but especially since we're discussing it today the black the brown the hispanic the minority communities especially how can we do better with mental health in those communities yeah well i think it's having conversations like this I think when the conversation is had with people that don't always look like us, it makes it feel like at least you want to hear me. And I think that's a big part of it, Townsend. I mean, you're doing amazing work by letting people outside of your immediate community. And that, and again, immediate community can be your musician community. It can be your cultural community, but you're letting people outside of your immediate community see your vulnerability, which makes them feel, huh, you want to be vulnerable? Maybe I can practice that vulnerability too. So you keep doing what you're doing. More conversations like this. Yeah. So what you're doing, I don't know if you know if it just the impact that you're having. And even if nobody tells you, I can tell you many times the felt sense is, oh my God, she tried to know me. She tried to hear me. She tried to hold space for me. Oh my God. Did you hear her talking about that? What's that white girl know about that? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Our community. Yeah. I I will say we, I I discussed this last year, like I said, in in a different light, but wanting to shed light on the minority communities and Raisha, she called me, the guests called me right before we went on shaking, just petrified that she was going to word something incorrectly, that someone would look at her because she told a story wrong. They were going to that she held all this weight for her community on her shoulders. And so both of us were like, oh my gosh, because it's scary. It's just like yeah. this conversation. It's a, any conversation I have on here, it's very vulnerable. You're scared to get it wrong. But again, I want to say, we're not here to be right. None of us are right. We spend yeah. our whole life trying to figure it out. So I love that. And I 100% want to hold space for everyone and anyone that has a story. And I love that just so much. And I want people to know in any community, in any space, that there are people that want to hear you. So thank you for that compliment. I love that so much. That makes me feel so much more at ease. Yes. Well, what you're doing, Townsend, honestly, is normalizing humanity. Humanity is imperfect, it's flawed, but you're normalizing that. That's what the vulnerability is that you're offering people. Let me normalize the imperfections. Yeah. Here's some of mine. Let me hear some of yours. And then the other people that get to hear it get to say, oh my gosh, I'm not in this shit show. <laughs> but I'm not in this shit show by myself. Yeah. You know, that universality yeah. of that. I'm not alone. Oh my gosh, I thought I was alone in this. Oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one that experienced that. Oh my gosh, I thought I was alone. And I am not. So your voice, I'm telling you, kid, you sing great. I love it so much. So, okay, 
we kind of went over this a little bit. What, what advice would you have for those people that are debating reaching out for help? So maybe the ones that were told not to trust the government or the ones that are like, oh, therapy's not for me. It's for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So with those, I always tell them whenever you come into my office, I feel like it is a privilege. I tell people all the time, you might think you have nothing wrong. And I don't think people come to therapy because they feel like something is wrong per se. I tell them I'm here to know why you decided now was the time. So if you're debating if I need to find a therapist, you're already in a place of what we would look at clinically as a dysregulated place because something feels amiss. There's a dysregulation within you. Something feels amiss. You don't know why. You cannot figure it out. I tell my 19-year-old all the time, honey, seek my wisdom because in your own right, you're doing it wrong. So <laughs> you, I, I need to you, tell him people are paying your mama for her advice. So you listen for free. Yes. You send him my way. I'll give him a little <laughs> chat and too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I mean, but but the idea is to say, like, really, we can mull over in our mind with our logic and reasoning front of our brain to say, yeah, well, this is logical why I should or should not or whatever. But it's oftentimes the perspective outside of your own. That's what makes therapy different from a friend, a family member, is that there's not a connectedness of family relation, of past history, of emotional attachment and ties. That objective therapist is there to hear your story for the very first time with fresh ears and then offer you feedback. It's often like someone holding a mirror in the back and letting you see the blind spots that you cannot see on your own. God. Therapy is not to tell you what to do. It's to offer you more information for you to make the informed decision. Do I need to shift? Do I need to change? Oh yeah, this doesn't work for me. That's what therapy is. So you don't have to worry about someone telling you what to do. It's just telling you, hey, here's a perspective. Do what you will. You have autonomy. You have control. Feel empowered with this new information. I love it. Sometimes I go in, I'm like, listen, I need you to tell me what to do. <laughs> yes. It never works yeah. that way, but I'm like, I need you yes. to tell me what decision to make. Okay. Yes. It happens every client. I do it to my own therapist. I do. She's 74. I love her to be someone. Now tell me, I, I, I need your wisdom. That's it. What do you think I offer that you don't have? I'm like, stop being a therapist. Exactly. Stop. <laughs> I need, I need you to tell me the answer. I need the yeah. right answer. Yes. That's yes. it. That's it. I love that so much. Okay. Yeah. I always ask my guests what self-care looks like for them. Mm. So especially from your point of view. So what does that look like for Rachel? What does a self-care day look like for you? Yes. Well, let me just preface by saying a business owner and a single mom of three kids, there's not a whole day of self-care. Oh, I cannot imagine. <laughs> Bless you. Bless you, woman. But if I'm having some mommy time, that looks like me going to my favorite restaurant, sitting in the corner by the window with my book my big old glass of a Malbec from Argentina and I'm eating my favorite Brazilian food. I'm people watching, I'm reading. It is two hours of me sitting and really tuning into me, the people around me and I engage as I want to because as a therapist, I have to be on for people all day long. Then I go home. My three little people need me to be on all day long. And so when I have those little snippets of time to where I don't have to be on for anybody, I oftentimes don't choose myself. I choose to go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so like so, I'm off for real, for real. Turn the light yes, out. Yes. Yes. I'm not, I don't even know I'm being good to myself. I'm going to yeah, sleep. My body it. needs it. But if I'm going to be intentional, it is oftentimes just going to get a pedicure or going again to my favorite restaurant it used to this is when I knew I needed to get some help self-care actually looked like rugby in my 20s no way <laughs> it did did go it Raisha you <laughs> might be the most interesting person I've ever met stop it everything it you say I'm like no way <laughs> Yes way. Yes way. Rugby was, it was a legal way to get aggression out. And it's like, this is not healthy to want to help people. This is not a good. way to pummel another woman. Okay. Yep. 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 I am now terrified of you. I don't know for people that can't see me. I'm approximately shaped like a pretzel. 
like a stick pretzel. So Raisha could take me out with just a thump. Now I'm terrified. She's a GI Jane and a ru- God. What can you not do? What can you oh, not I don't do? Sing. See, I don't sing. But okay. every time I see you perform, I try to sing with you. Yes, I, I do. I like it. I take the support. I love that. Okay. Wow. Those are either chilling with their book or knocking somebody senseless. Okay. I like it. I like the variety there. I mean, I'm just saying. I love it. Oh my goodness. Raisha, thank you so, so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure. It, gosh, literally, we talked about this earlier. This is such a sensitive subject. It can be, but it's something I want to show light on. We talked about this a couple of times now, but this is just our story, our independent, original, unique story, but we just want to show what we got going on, our advice from our point of view. And so take that how you will. Raisha, I appreciate you being vulnerable and open and sharing your infinite wisdom with us. It's been such a blast. I appreciate it. Hey, well, thank you for the invite. I tell you, it means a lot to me that you even invited me. So thank you. Gosh, I would love to. You've got to come back on. I would love to talk to you about the military, like your service. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. We'll book it. Okay. I'd love to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good evening and we will be in touch. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. See you later. Okay, guys, if you're in the market to buy or sell, I have the perfect company for you. Clark & Co. Realty is located in the Benton, Bryant, Arkansas area, but they're able to serve you no matter where you're located in the state. They've streamlined the process of buying or selling a home to make it so much easier. They have a team of industry experts that make sure you have access from anything you can think of. I'm talking from local home inspectors to painters to gardeners and so much more just to provide you with the best service possible. They're dedicated to providing the most up-to-date market data in the area. And I think the coolest part is if you go on their website, you can use their easy-to-use fast property search. You can even create a custom market report to see what's active, under contract, and sold in your neighborhood. Their team is made up of caring, knowledgeable professionals that work around the clock to help you with the process of buying and selling your home. So again, if you're in the market to buy or sell, Clark & Co. Realty is definitely the company for you. Tell them Townsend sent you. Let's be honest. I think we could all use somebody to talk to every now and then. Healing Path Counseling in Conway, Arkansas is 100% my go-to when it comes to therapy. Wendy Blackwood has more credentials than letters in the alphabet. She's won awards for her outstanding services and has a whole page of board memberships. Basically, she knows what she's doing. She works hard to help equip you with the tools needed to live your best life. She even offers a variety of services including, but not limited to, cognitive behavioral therapy, technology-assisted counseling, relationship counseling, and EMDR. Trust me, I know therapy can be intimidating at first, but let me assure you, Wendy does her best to make you comfortable and find the best solutions and plans for you. Trust me, don't wait to make the call. Give Wendy Blackwood at Healing Path Counseling a call today. Get started on the best version of you. I think we can all agree, getting your hair done should be a treat to yourself. I also know that it's hard to find a stylist you can trust to give you the style you want every single time. The Madhouse Beauty Lounge has a mission. They want to create a welcoming space for everyone. And they're professionally committed to making you feel confident and beautiful during every single visit. The coolest part is they offer all types of services. I'm talking advanced color treatments to on-trend cuts. My favorite part is that their products are all vegan. And they stay away from products like microplastic, mineral oils, parabens, silicones. In other words, they use the best and the safest ingredients for every client that they have. So I think it's time that you treat yourself to a new do from the Madhouse Beauty Lounge located at 708 2nd Street in Conway, Arkansas. If you go in, tell them that Townsend sent you.